This week's episode is brought to you by Birds of a Feather Coffee Company, LaFawn Magazine, and fantasy horror book A Gathering of Twine. You are listening to the Secret Transmission Podcast, discussing conspiracies, paranormal, and the strange. show this is a podcast about the strange and unusual the secret and conspiracies the fringe and the supernatural this is a show where we do little to no research on our topics we are not professionals in any field except speculation this is the secret transmission podcast and today we're going to be talking about the oklahoma city bombing i am your host toby and alongside me are my two co-hosts we're missing a co-host today. Again? Haven't we been missing him the last two episodes? Maybe. I don't remember. I think he was here for Waco. I don't think he was here for Ruby Ridge. Yeah, I don't, yep. I don't remember now. Anyways, introduce yourselves, Damon. Rudy. Kristen. And uh, today, we are going to be talking about the Oklahoma City bombing. Wrap up this big mess of nuts and bolts. Ooh, so there's a connection. Ah, I didn't say that. I you didn't... said that. Uh, did i jump the shark yes you did this early this is the earliest jump the shark cue the sound (laughs) okay so now that i've I've gone ahead and jumped the shark and i've tricked you into doing you did you really did here we go so we are going to be talking about the oklahoma city bombing and before we get into the craziness of uh-huh, it, uh-huh. and there is a lot of crazy when you start diving into this thing. And and we and I feel like we got to dive straight into it because there's a lot of information on this one. There really is, yeah. yeah. This one is on the level of JFK information uh-huh. that I found, anyways. And so, what's what's weird is you can't really do this research by itself without referencing the two previous topics that we discussed because there. Are, like you said, there there's things that are way too similar between all of them. Right. So if uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to our Ruby Ridge episode and our Waco Siege episode, and and do some homework because it is it you dive down some rabbit holes, man. Yeah, all of this. Yeah, all of it. So we're going to talk about the building itself first. Okay. The, the building that was bombed in Oklahoma City. The Alfred P. Murr, is it M- it's M-U-R-R-A-H. God damn it. I think they kept saying Murray. Murray? Yeah. The, and, yeah. the Alfred P. Murray Federal Building opened in 1977 and was named for an Oklahoma native who became one of the youngest federal judges in U.S. history when he was appointed by President Franklin Roosevelt in 1936. Murray died in 1975 at the age of 71, and this building cost about $14.5 million to build. So it was not a cheap building. No. 
By the 1990s, the building contained regional offices for the Social Security Administration, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, the United States Secret Service, the Department of Veterans Affairs, Vacational Rehabilitation Counseling Center, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, and the Bureau Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF. Uh, The building also contained recruiting offices for both the Army and the Marine Corps. It housed approximately 550 employees. The building also had a children's daycare center, Uh, uh which that children's daycare center becomes the focal point of all of this Uh it's really this was really hard to research because it was mostly stories of people losing their children or or their husbands and wives and i just wanted the details like i didn't want those stories as tragic as they are and they should be told that's not what i was looking for for all this research because it really doesn't add or i mean i guess it adds to the tragedy of it all but it was really hard to get around that and just find the facts. To get the parts you wanted to yes. get to as far as your research goes on this, which is the opposite for me. Barely anything I researched involved the daycare center. Really? Yeah. Man, I, everything, like videos I'd watch, it would be six stories about, well, I dropped off little Timmy and the last thing he said to me was, I want to go to the park. And like, it's right. it's all tragic as hell. The only one that I came across was an older black woman who had dropped off her grandkids and she was through the course of this documentary uh, we find out that she truly believed that it wasn't timothy mcveigh that was solely uh, responsible for it oh really other parties involved since you brought up timothy mcveigh let's uh nice segue <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about him okay and a lot of this information is coming from wikipedia uh-huh. because I don't know how reliable any of his history is going to be at this point. Just not, I'm, I'm being, I'm putting on my tinfoil hat a little bit. Not uh, only that, but his past is kind of shrouded in mystery because of things he has said, things he's done, claimed to have done. Well, see, I'm a, I'm, I'm still a firm believer since our Ed Gein episode a long time ago. I, I honestly believe that sometimes it like you know me right and you might say oh yeah if, if anyone says hey do you know toby and you're like yeah he's a, he's all right right but if i murder kristen tonight you might change your story of oh he always had a weird sick look in his eyes when he looked at her oh and that's I what i've too. been saying for five years <laughs> <laughs> i would too but do you see what i'm sure. saying like yeah. i feel like people sometimes put a like oh because i knew him yeah no he there was something off about him always but so, in in the in the we'll switch that scenario around a little bit if she ever killed you for any reason I'd be like oh self defense <laughs> <laughs> he had it coming yep <laughs> fuck you guys <laughs> just throwing that out there yeah <laughs> yeah but that's uh, so when there's like I don't know it's hard for me to trust when someone's going back and being like hmm as I recall he was a little bit of a psycho when he was ten right so. Right. I, I always like to throw that disclaimer out there when we are talking about someone. Especially with the internet these days. Right. It's been a sketch fest since its inception. So. <laughs> so, Timothy McVeigh was born April 23rd, 1968. April. Remember yeah. April, everyone. Yeah. He had two sisters, and he was the middle child. Uh, his parents divorced when he was 10, and he was raised by his father. Apparently, he was bullied as a kid, which 
that's one of those things that I feel like was he was he really was he yeah. or or does that build a profile for your psycho bomber? Well, you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. the government has to build it somewhere. Because there's, there's plenty of people who claim to be bullied and grow up to be thriving members of society. So. That's what I'm saying. But like when it's all just big is, tactics is, to get back at the whole world. Is it a narrative <laughs> though that they're trying to to? Yeah, spin? that's what I'm saying. Like it, it. I don't know. I feel like you have to have like you can't be he a happy kid, right? He just can't be a happy kid. If, if you do then, something bad, you can't have been a happy kid and had a good childhood. Oh man, they're going to be surprised years from now. They're going to look into my childhood and be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> "He had a great childhood. I don't know what the hell happened. He just snapped. Yeah, just one day." Uh, so some sources claim that he was shy, but then other sources were saying that he was an attention seeker and uh, he was very outgoing as a child. Again. That's why I was like, okay, I might stick with Wikipedia because I'm not getting anywhere. I'm getting conflicting reports already. Right, So he became interested in computers and hacking in high school. He apparently hacked into a government computer system using his Commodore 64 using the name The Wanderer. He was named Starpoint Central High School's Most Promising Computer Programmer. A prestigious title, by the way. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, guns became his passion and it was a little hobby that he had with his grandfather i believe Uh this is about the time he started becoming very interested in gun rights and the second amendment rights and see that's also again painting the picture of well he was crazy about guns and all this as a child yep Uh, and it might be true i'm not saying it's not true i'm just saying these always paint that crazy picture yeah it always seems to be a yeah i got to looking into that and i have a theory about that too do you yeah do you tell us now or wait i'll wait i'll wait i might not even say it on air because it's kind of controversial so ooh, yeah pushing the buttons huh oh yeah i'm gonna let the people sweat (laughs) with the knowledge that they'll never know maybe (laughs) so he joined the uh the army in 19 cia CIA. yeah yeah they're watching (laughs) maybe yeah, maybe. He's recording us, everything we do. Every day the, <laughs> they're, they're watching us on your laptop. Week. Yeah. They, they got your Skype open. You don't even realize it yet. <laughs> it's like, so, saw that bag break on you today at work. What? <laughs> to the topic at hand. Yeah. Meryl. He joined the Army in 1988 and graduated from the U.S. Army Infantry School at Fort Benning, Georgia. McVeigh was awarded a Bronze Star Medal for his service as a vehicle crewman in the Persian Gulf War. He was a top-scoring gunner with the 25mm cannon of the Bradley Fighting Vehicles used by his 1st Infantry Division. He was stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas before being deployed on Operation Desert Storm. He claimed he decapitated an Iraq soldier with a cannon fire on his first day of duty. He claimed he was ordered to execute surrendering prisoners at one time. He decided to leave the army and was honorably discharged in 1991 or possibly 1992. That's another conflicting report, as some say, which that comes into play later. Oh, you don't want me to say any more? Not yet. <laughs> Bite Damn your it. tongue. Damn Four it. years is normally like the minimum that you spend Okay, well, in that's service. a good point. 88, 89, 90, 91. So only three years. So let's say 92. That gives then him... that means he'd, 
He was either, they either let him go or he was dishonorably discharged. That's what it said. It said honorably. Oh, so yeah. he got out. He wanted out. Maybe me- oh, medically or like mentally, I guess. Right, psychologically. Mm-hmm. When he returned, uh, he worked as a security guard for Pinkerton Government Services. He decided that the Buffalo area was too liberal. <laughs> And he left his job and began driving around America, seeking out his old buddies from the army. So I guess he ended up uh, getting another job, but nothing really said what exactly it was. Something about him trying to have a relationship with a girl at a job that he worked at, but he was too shy to go after her. Something about him being a terrible gambler. Something about him taking loans out for gambling. It was just kind of gray right there. So pretty much at this point, since he's going to find all his old army buddies, he's already to a point to where his mind's made up about the government. So most likely that means that he didn't want to leave the army and the army pushed him out. Well, Because he wants retaliation in some manner. So let's say he's got the this gambling debt he didn't get this girlfriend he's kind of living i think he's living with his father at this point the government hit him up for for unpaid taxes <laughs> so really? the government gave him a fucking middle finger and was like yep give wow. us some money so of course that's gonna piss him off even more right push right. him over the edge right um uh, and then 1992 ruby ridge this set him off to uh-huh. the extreme side of the anti-government views that he ended up having right supposedly now he wasn't there for that one but he did see it right he he was pissed about it right in 1993 a little waco siege happened Uh he drove from florida to waco because he wanted to help he wanted to be a part of it Uh and uh you know just show his support so while he was there at waco he started handing out well first off let me say this they wouldn't let him up near uh mount carmel right so basically what i understood is he kind of went to the outskirts of waco and uh started handing out like the pro-gun pamphlets and and uh i think he was selling bumper stickers for anti-government that's stuff. how he wanted right. to help well i don't and you also have to remember they had a five mile radius blocked off right yeah and they weren't just gonna let anybody in there it's probably like red cross workers and right i think it was two to three miles for like emergency personnel that could get through right but then everyone else civilians had to be back five miles at least so yeah he was at waco not at the actual siege right but he was he was around now another little tidbit i heard was after ruby ridge what he was doing was he'd go to gun shows and he'd hand out business cards with the name of the sniper. Well, see, I, that... that's what I was about to get to. Oh, okay. I, yeah, but you're right. Yeah. So he actually started working the gun shows okay. is what it was. And he was basically touring with them and, uh-huh. and kind of just setting up shop and, and stuff like that. And like you said, he would hand out the, those cards with uh, Lone Horichi. I can't remember how to say his name. I think it is Hirochi, the, Hirochi. the sniper that killed Vicky Robertson. Yeah. Or, so was that her name? Robert. Yeah, I think Vicky. It was Vicky. Vicky was her first name. I can't remember the last name. I think it was Robertson's or Robertson. Vicky Weaver. Weaver. That's what it was. Weaver. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So totally not Robertson. I, <laughs> I was way I off. I don't know why I was thinking Roberts or Robertson's. Different. But yeah, no, he would hand out these uh, these business cards with this guy's name on it and hope and his address. Oh, did it have his address? Yes, on it? that's what—that's the significant part. Is. So, so he's he, trying to get him killed. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to get snipers at these gun shows to go snipe him out. You know, that had the same views as him. Because after Ruby Ridge, the big concept was that the government was going after people like that, the kind of the right wing gun owner, gun show types. 
So, yeah. But yeah, he did. He traveled the uh, gun show stuff for a while. Uh, Little did he know somebody was handing out cards about him. Probably, (laughs) yeah. I guess he ended up hanging out with a man named uh, Terry Nichols. Nichols? Nichols, yeah. Is it Nichols or Nichols? Nichols. And his brother, which I don't know what his brother's name is. They begin teaching McVeigh how to make explosives out of, you know, homemade materials. Popping. Well, like plastic jugs, Mm -hmm. chemicals and stuff. McVeigh told... So these guys are already pretty much... Then they they knew that he was already out for revenge on some sort, so they started using well, him as their own tool. No, they they were just all like they all had a common interest. So yeah, they, were all they wanted to defend making bombs. They probably knew he was a ticking time bomb himself, and that he'd probably use it well down the down the line. After after the Ruby Ridge stuff, he wants they want to just be able to to defend theirs. You know, Ruby Ridge and Waco. They wanted to. They didn't want the government butting in if if they had weapons or whatever. They but they wanted I don't know. I I'm not that in that mindset of like take the guns out of my cold dead hands kind of. I think it was more like hey we have a similar things in common. They get to talking and they you know they eventually earns their trust enough to be like you hey like to look make at these bombs? bombs. I like to make bombs. Hey show me how to make bombs. I was in the <laughs> army. We're government good. can't take our bombs away. Oh yes they can, <laughs> and they do it with force. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a small break. Because that's just a little bit of history. I just wanted to, you know, touch on a little bit of stuff. And we're going to go through the timeline of what happened in 1994. All right. So we'll be right back. Let's do it. All of Everything about you is a lie. Everything, 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 everything. A Gathering of Twine. Available on Amazon and iTunes. One of our sponsors today is LaFon Magazine. A magazine that's created by Tony Bologna. Tony Bologna is haunted by the angry spirit of his past life, LaFon. And he's selling these magazines to raise money to afford a proper exorcism. Proper exorcisms are not cheap. And we implore you to please help this man rid himself of LaFon by supporting his fledging artistic venture. LaFon Magazine is fiction, art, and humor writing printed on chemically treated paper that takes decades to decompose in the ground. So direct your internet browser to LaFonMagazine.com. L-E-F-A-W-N M-A-G-A-Z-I-N-E dot com. You can snag issues one through four as well as other supernatural gifts. If you have a smartphone, you can follow Tony Bologna and LaFon Magazine on Instagram at LaFonZine. LaFon also has a Twitter page that you should follow at LaFon Magazine. Also, use the hashtag LaFon because, you know, no one else is and you could be the first. Please stop talking for the rest of your days. LaFon Magazine. Hey everyone, this is Neil from the Two Black Eyes Podcast. We're a movie-inspired improv comedy podcast. What's that mean? It means each episode we talk about a movie we watched and revel in all the absurd and ridiculous stuff we noticed. Then, we jump into improvised comedy sketches based on those discussions. For your entertainment! Whether it's a classic or just classically bad, we cover them all. 
Check us out at www.twoblackeyespodcast.com or wherever podcasts are found. Do you long for the good old Saturdays filled with morning cartoons and sugary cereal? How about the lazy days? Just veggie in front of the telly all afternoon. Well, I do, and that's why Saturday Morning Pajamas was created. Tune in every Wednesday and Saturday for a good old dose of nostalgia, B-movies, and the latest cinematic hits. Check us out at www.nonoms.net. That's www.nonoms.net. And we are back. We're going to go on the timeline. We're going to go all deep into the timeline, huh? Yeah. All right. Maybe. <laughs> so we're going to start at 1994, which is not when all the uh, bombings going on. Right, because it was 95, right. right? Yeah. But we need some backstory, right? So right. This is, this is the official timeline. Okay. Let me add that. This is the official... Quote, unquote, official <laughs> Quote, unquote. Because we all know, with the government, there is never a true official timeline. So, September of 1994, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols... Nichols? Nichols. Okay. Using aliases, buy 2,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate in McPherson, Kansas. Uh-huh. October of that same... We're in, Unless I say a different year, we're in the same damn year. Right. Right. October, McVeigh and uh, Nichols steal explosives from a storage locker in Marion, Kansas, transporting it to another storage locker in Kingman, Arizona, where Nichols' brother, James, that's that's the brother that I didn't know earlier, right. but that's where James lives, and then they buy another uh, 2,000 pounds of uh, ammonium nitrate and put it in a storage locker in Council Grove, Kansas. In November, McVeigh and Nichols Rob an Arkansas firearms dealer of cash, weapons, ammunition, coins, precious metals, and other property. Nichols then leaves for the Philippines where his wife's family lives after having prepared a letter to McVeigh to be delivered only if the in the event that Nichols dies. Right. Uh, in it, Nichols tells McVeigh to either empty or extend the lease on the Council Grove storage locker containing stolen property by February 1st and to liquidate the explosives in the other storage locker. Okay. I guess if something were to happen to him, he's just like, hey, here's a safe reminder (laughs) so we don't get caught. Right. February 1st. I guess that's all that was supposed to be. Gotcha. Some of this may be very useless, but I figured I'd throw it in there. Right. Just because it kind of gives us a uh, background of what's happening. Okay. December... On the way to Kansas to pick up a firearm stolen in the Arkansas robbery, McVeigh uh, cases the Alfred Murray Federal Building in Oklahoma City along with Michael Forter. Why, do, why does that name sound familiar? Well, because that's the man who later, I'm jumping ahead, but this is the man who claims that McVeigh told him about everything and then uh, he, I think he ended up having to serve time because he didn't report Okay. He he was like a co-conspirator. Right. Or I don't know. We'll get to it in a minute. Okay. Okay. Uh and, and apparently at this time he was telling him, "Hey, I'm going to blow this bitch up." Right. Right. So 1995, and this is possibly January. It, it just said early January, so it or early 1995, so it could have been anywhere. Right. 
Nichols returned from the Philippines. The firearms stolen in the Arkansas robbery are sold, and McVeigh, Nichols, and Forder split the money. February, Nichols pays for the continued use of the Council Grove storage unit containing the explosives. In March, McVeigh obtains a driver's license in the name of Robert Kling Uh with April 19th. 1972 as the birth date. Uh-huh. uh-huh. April. Weird. Uh-huh. That was on purpose. Think about it. Oh. Think about Ooh. It. Ooh. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. Fake ID with an April 19th birthday. That's crazy. Yeah. I wouldn't have caught that. That would have just went right past me. April 19th the day that this goes down. And it was also the day Waco went down. Oh, yeah. It was the day they burned up. And the day that we thought that Ruby Ridge happened. Yeah, yeah. That I still say we got Mandela on Ruby Ridge. Yeah. Mandela per episode. Because each, uh, every every little bit of research on Ruby Ridge, they do refer to it happening in August and they do refer to it just a few months later. Here comes, you know, Waco. So, right. Yeah. April 14th, McVeigh buys a 1977 Mercury Mar- Marcus? Marquis? Marquis? Yeah. In Junction City, uh, Kansas, calls the Nicole's residence and Harrington from Nichols Junk- calls the calls the Nichols residence. Well, and- I don't want you confusing people. It's like, yeah, no, yeah, calls the Nicole's residence in Harrington from Junction City. Did I say it again? Yes, yeah. Nichols. Okay. Whatever. Think, think, think the coin, okay, <laughs> Nichols. All right. He calls them. Uh, <laughs> he calls those guys. All right. What well, was guys? Yeah. I guess he calls a business in Junction City and uses the name Bob Kling and inquires about renting a truck that can carry 5,000 pounds of cargo, rents a motel room in Junction City, places a deposit for a rental truck with that same name, Uh Robert Kling. Robert Kling. I wonder if that has something like... If it's a, what is it called? Anagram? Wait, what's it called when you mix up letters? I think it is. Maybe an anagram? No, it's cryptogram. not a cryptogram. Well, uh, it's not an allegory. Uh, ooh. A cryptogram is what's in the newspaper that's a bunch of mixed up letters that you have to decipher them. Could be. What was that last it word is. you said? Allegory? Allegory? Anagram? It's Anyways. one of those words. Yeah. Let's so, on. April 17th, McVeigh rents a 20-foot rider truck in Junction City, Kansas. April 18th at Geary Lake State Park in Kansas, McVeigh and Nichols build a bomb in the cargo compartment of the rental truck using barrels filled with a mixture of ammonia nitrate, fuel, and other explosives. April 19th, before 9 a.m., McVeigh parks the truck outside the Murray Federal Building in Oklahoma City. At 9.02 a.m., the bomb detonates, shearing off the front of the building, killing 168 people. And they will let you know that like 28 of them were children. Yes. Repeatedly, like you said earlier. About 10.30 a.m., McVeigh is pulled over by a state trooper on Interstate 35 near Billings, Oklahoma, about 80 miles north of Oklahoma City, because his car was missing the rear license plate. As McVeigh reaches for his wallet, the trooper notices a bulge under his light windbreaker and arrests McVeigh for carrying a concealed pistol and a shoulder holster. Huh. Let me just throw this out here real quick. I know where you're going to go with this. Go ahead and say it then. It, you just bombed a federal building. Mm-hmm. And you're driving around in a car 
with no license plate. And you first of all. And you've pre-planned all of yes. this. Yes. Okay. I'm glad you knew exactly what I wanted to say. Because that little deets didn't make any sense to me either. So by mid-morning, televised reports of the explosion air and theories that the foreign terrorists are responsible and suggest that eyewitnesses had seen Middle Eastern looking men fleeing the scene. By the afternoon, authorities were able to read a serial number uh, on the truck axle pulled from the wreckage. A computer check reveals it matches a rider truck rented in Kansas two days earlier. Later on, a Jordanian American, Abraham Ahmed. Jesus Christ. Not, you know, don't even try with Oof. names like that. I don't even... Uh, he attempts to fly to Jordan to visit relatives, and he is questioned during a layover in Chicago, forcing him to miss his flight. He is detained upon his arrival in London, and then held by authorities in Virginia, and again in Oklahoma City until April 21st, when he is released. I don't know why that was important, but it was in, it was in the official... Right. So they're looking for Middle Eastern-looking men, is that what it said? Yeah, uh, they... Witnesses claim they saw Middle Eastern men fleeing the scene. Right. So that night, the last survivor of the blast is pulled from the wreckage of the Murray building. So having interviewed witnesses in Oklahoma City and the Ryder Depot in Kansas, authorities released sketches of suspects of two white males, John Doe 1 and John Doe 2. Uh-huh. April 21st, federal authorities arrest McVeigh, who resembles the sketch of Do- uh, John Doe Number 1 in connection with the bombing only hours before he was expected to make bail on the firearms charge in Perry. Nichols uh, surrendered in Harrington, Kansas. After learning the police are looking for him, Nichols and his brother James are held on material witness warrants. They were about to let uh, McVeigh go. Right. And they were like, hey, this guy looks like the sketch. So he looks like John Doe number one. And see, this is what I didn't understand. Nichols and his brother. Well, his name's not Nichols. What's his real name? Anyways, the Nichols. Nichols. (laughs) Right. They both were just like, oh, well, we heard you're looking for us. Not like, how is that out there? Why Why are they looking for you? Right. Right. If they're looking for John Doe one and two, they might have one. Why would they be looking for the Nickel boys? Unless somebody goes, hey. I saw this guy talking to these two guys. You may want to talk to these two That's, guys. I guess so, but I don't know. It just seemed like a weird, like, you turned yourself in because... You felt guilty? Yeah. So, March 10th, Terry Nichols is formally charged in connection with the bombing. May 23rd. Uh... Do that again? What were you doing? I picked up a weird, crazy sound. Let me see if I heard that. Like... The crickets? No, it sounded like... Let's see if it picked up. Okay. So, uh, I just rewound to listen to what that weird little noise was. Yeah. It's obviously Vault 7 stuff. Oh, God, CIA. <laughs> They're listening Stop to us. interfering in our conversations. Our investigation. That's right. Anyway, so on May 23rd, I guess the rest of the building was brought down, and uh, James Nichols' brother, Terry, is released from federal custody. Charges against him are later dropped. August 2nd, McVeigh's sister Jennifer testifies before a federal grand jury. August 7th, McVeigh's attorney Stephen Jones suggests an unidentified leg. I copied and pasted all this because... 
Oh, I forgot about this part. On August 7th, McVeigh's attorney, Stephen Jones, suggests an unidentified leg found in the rubble could be the real bomber. On the 8th, McVeigh's friend Michael Forder and his wife testify before a grand jury. August 10th, grand jury indicts McVeigh and Nichols on murder and conspiracy charges. Forder pleads guilty to a minor firearms charge as part of the plea bargain. The U.S. District Judge Wayne Alley is assigned to the case. October 20th, prosecutors announce they will seek the death penalty against McVeigh and Nichols. December 4th, Chief U.S. District Judge Richard Matschit? Match? M-A-T-S-C-H. Mash. Mash? That's what I would say. We're going to call him Mash. Just Mash. Like the show. Or the potatoes. Never could get into that show. I liked it. Couldn't get past the intro. Uh, U.S. District Judge Richard Mash of Denver is appointed uh, as the judge in the case due to the other judge might be impartial to the case due to the bomb, I think, messed up his courtroom a little bit. Oh, so he might have been a little... Yeah, okay. Something okay, like that. You. So they, they Conflict assign- of interest, possibly. Right. Okay. So we're in 1996. Do you have anything to add in here so far, or...? So much. Uh, gosh. Uh, I guess when we start talking into the getting into the meat meat of the uh, conspiracies themselves, we'll, okay. we'll go into some of the details I have. I'll try to speed through some of this. 1996, February 23rd, medical examiners announced that the mystery leg belonged to a previously identified victim. April 19th, mourners gather at Wait, the- Okay, which that doesn't make any sense because they had all the victims. Okay. Right, and you would see clearly that the guy's missing a leg. Right. And the thing was, it was like a right leg or something. They had 168 right legs. Actually, 169 right legs with 168 bodies. Oh, really? That that's kind of the what why this this leg thing was an issue is because there's an actual limb here to somebody, and everybody else had all all their limbs. Right. That that's what the problem with the the limb thing was, and it is an odd little tidbit to have. Yeah. You have a random leg just floating around at a crime scene? What the hell is that all about? Wait, you don't have random legs laying around? I, you know... <sighs> Take it back now, huh? We can't talk about it on <laughs> So April 19th, more, mourners uh, gather at the bombing site on the first anniversary and pause for 168 seconds of silence. One second for each victim. August 14th, uh, MASH refuses to throw out the bulk of the evidence and says statements Nichols made to authorities after the arrest could be used against him, but not against McVeigh. September 25th, MASH rules federal death penalty is constitutional, clearing the way for prosecutors to seek against both of them. Uh, October 25th, MASH orders McVeigh and Nichols to be tried separately, ruling their rights could be compromised by a joint trial. Nichols will be tried after McVeigh, but no date was set. Right. So we're in 1997. Okay. Keep powering through. Yep. February 20th, uh, MASH denies defense request to eliminate testimony of six prosecution eyewitnesses who changed portions of their testimony over the past two years. People are changing their stories uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. February 28th, in a story on the internet site, the Dallas Morning News reports that McVeigh confessed to the bombing. Two other reports on the confession follow in the next two weeks. So I guess a couple of sources started publishing that he confessed, I guess. Uh, June 13th, jury condemns uh, McVeigh to die by lethal injection. August 14th, before being formally sentenced to death, McVeigh tells the judge the government teaches the people by its example. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I didn't understand that quote. 
he was about to die, or he was about to be put on. <laughs> he's trying he's to about to be executed and put on. He wants to say something that's profound. Yeah, and, yeah. Okay. November twentieth, uh, Nichols' ex-wife testifies how a letter from Nichols told McVeigh to go for it five months before the bombing. Go for it was in quotes. Right. December 24th, Nichols is found guilty on one count of conspiracy and eight counts of involuntary manslaughter. 1998, January 7th, Nichols is spared the death penalty by a deadlocked jury. May 27th, Michael Forder is sentenced to 12 years in prison and fined 200000 for failing to warn authorities about the bomb plans. June 4th, calling him an enemy of the Constitution, a federal judge sentences Terry L. Nichols to life in prison. May 10th, FBI informs Judge Richard Mash and Timothy McVeigh's attorney that the Bureau withheld evidence from McVeigh's trial. Justice Department begins turning over thousands of FBI bombing investigation documents to McVeigh's attorney. Oh, wow. They almost fucked up the case, I think. The FBI did? Well, I I think that's what that would mean. They they withheld evidence. Yeah, that could be a serious issue. They could have... I mean, I guess... could. Could the case have gotten thrown out for, uh, what is that called? I'm not a court... If oh, if the only way it could be thrown out... Oh, tampering with evidence is a way to get it thrown out. So, I mean, it could have... We might have McVeigh walking around if... if uh, okay, who's to say that they didn't tamper with that evidence we may have by, not, by not presenting it initially, you know? Right. That was May 10th. June 6th, Judge Mash refuses to grant a stay of execution, saying newly released FBI documents do not change the fact that McVeigh is guilty. Oh, okay. So he put his fucking iron gaveling... You put his iron gauntlets down. (laughs) Yeah. Hard. Uh, So June 11th, McVeigh is executed by lethal injection. So, 2004, May 26, Nichols found, was found guilty of 161 state murder charges. Uh, June 12th, jury deadlocked in penalty phase, allowing Nichols to avoid the death penalty. Whew. So, that's the timeline. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That's a riot. And now we're going to take a break. Aww. <laughs> but when we come back, we're getting to the good Oh, I don't want to say good stuff about this case. I don't want to say good stuff. Yeah, way to go. You just said fuck. that 168 people dying is a good thing. So We're going to get to the horrible human being. interesting, interestingly weird stuff about this case. Uh-huh. There we go. That was worded like a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we'll be right back. All right. One of our sponsors today is Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. Birds of a Feather Coffee is a small batch craft coffee roaster with a meticulous eye for quality. From their rich and balanced signature blends to their unique and sometimes wild single origin offerings, Birds Coffee has something for every coffee lover. You can use the promo code SECRET to get 10% off your first order. Need a recommendation? The Night Owl Blend is their most popular seller, featuring an exceptionally smooth and deep roasted character with strong notes of cocoa, caramel, and just a hint of molasses. It tastes as decadent as it sounds. Try it today by going to www.birdscoffeecompany.com and using the promo code SECRET so they know that we sent you. Again, that's www.birdscoffeecompany.com You can also follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Birds Coffee Co. 
Strange Animals Podcast brings you weekly episodes about surprising, mysterious, or just plain strange animals. From the vampire squid to the unicorn, tune in to discover your new favorite animal. Check us out on strangeanimalspodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Hey there, fellow podcast fans. Do you love comic books and especially Swamp Thing? Get out of the bayou. So do we. Come check out the Parlopod Show, the world's only podcast dedicated to the muck-encrusted mockery of a man himself, Swamp Thing. This is some serious arcane audio. We also have a sister show, Splurch, where we dive into the world of comics and all the crazy aspects of life. Give us a listen at Parlopod.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, are you YouTube channel, visit our site, parlapod.com, and consider supporting our Patreon for some really cool rewards and exclusive content. Check us out on podcastradionetwork.net every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Join the conversation on Twitter by following at Parlapod. We'll see you in the swamps. I feel like I'm getting old. I keep getting colder the older I get. You are old. Calm down, Granny. We're back. <laughs> Even though she's like 10 years younger than me. <laughs> are you better now? Yeah. With your blankie? No, this house is a dud. Something's wrong with the heat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think it feels fine in here. Yeah, I'm you're good. Just getting sick. I'm not getting sick. Don't say that. Okay, so are y'all ready to talk about the weird? I know I am. Okay. If there's anything that you want to jump around and talk about, because I have no order, right? And I'm missing so much stuff because there's so many theories, there's so many things. There's a lot to cover. Everything from the type of bomb used to whether was there two bombs? Yes, you know the German nationalist, whole bunch of stuff. So in October, this is just a weird thing. Uh huh. And, and and I think we touched on this in the Ruby Ridge. Do you remember what that group was called in the Ruby Ridge episode that we? Uh, Which group? The the one that got uh, where the the guy got killed. Talk about the order. The order. That's what they were called. Okay. The, so the this white is supremacists. Yeah, this is yeah. not the same group. Okay, that's what I was curious about. Okay. Damn, that's a good memory. I remember weird shit. Right. Yeah. Well, and this is a group that I think I, we need to cover one day in the future. Because it seems like... I think that I was reading some weird stuff about them. Okay. But just for a little tidbit, here's... In October 1983, members of the white supremacist group called The Covenant, The Sword, and The Arm of the Lord. Let's just shorten it down to CSA. Okay. The CSA including the founder James Ellison and Richard Snell, plotted to park a van or a trailer in front of the federal building and blow it up with rockets detonated by a timer. 1983. Right. Someone had the same plan. Uh Uh-huh. Somewhat. In front of a federal building. Right. While the CSA was building a rocket launcher to attack the building, the device detonated in one of the members' hands... And the group looked at this as a divine intervention and called off the attack. Ooh. And convicted of murder in a unrelated case, Richard Snell was executed on April 19th, 1995. The same day the bombing of the federal building was carried out. No shit. Is that weird? Yeah, that's very odd. If that's true. I, I'm, right. not, I'm not 100%. I didn't double 
cross check and all that good stuff on that i just wrote it down interesting that would be if it's true that'd be very interesting so john doe number one is always thought to be timothy mcveigh right did you compare the pictures of timothy mcveigh and john doe one uh sketch yeah they're kind of sort of i feel like it's a little bit of a stretch but i'm not defending anything i'm just saying eh, those sketch artists never do I don't feel like they hardly ever get close. Well, what, there was CCTV of McVeigh. Yeah. And John Doe number two. So they had him on camera. Why didn't they just give all the, you know, news agencies, hey, this guy right here, this little pixelated image. If you see some guy that looks like this. Right. Well, people believe that John Doe number two, uh-huh. that never got fully identified, was either Kenneth Michael Trinidale, Trinidu, Trinta something or Richard Lee Guthrie Jr. Uh huh. We'll get back to those in just a second here. Right. Those names sound familiar. I can't remember in what context though. This next weird thing. Uh huh. There are two suspicious um, suicides during around this time. Okay. Uh, Sergeant Terrence Yakey was the first officer to respond to the bombing. Yes. On May eighth, nineteen ninety six, he was discovered in a field. The story is he tried to slit his wrist, then his neck, and for some reason climbed over a barbed wire fence and uh, went into a field and then shot himself in the head. Twice. Was it twice? I think it was twice. I, as You know what? Sure. Why? Let's just say I, it's once. It's still fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, there was zero indication prior to that that he was even remotely suicidal. Right. And they they kept saying like how he was the the town hero for saving right. people, you know, pulling people out of the rubble and stuff. Cuz he actually had somebody pulled over in town whenever the bomb went off and then he like turned around and saw Yeah, he was like 4 blocks commotion. away. Yeah, he was very close and so he basically did one of these you got a warning and then took off. Yeah. The theory on this is some people believe that he knew something that would change the official story of the bombing. Here's the only thing I can think of in regards to that. The type of bomb that was used. A lot of chemicals, right? Right. From what I understand, if a bomb like that goes off, you can't go anywhere near the scene because the chemicals are so overpowering. You almost need a hazmat suit to get in and start cleaning things up. Oh, that's a good, good point. But the fact that he could go up and start pulling people out immediately was... It's, it's kind of a huge contradiction to the type of bomb that was used to blow hmm. the building up. And and the the size of the bomb, the van, all that good stuff, with the type of explosives they used, they said would put a pretty good size hole in the side of the building. But wouldn't and do right that there, much damage. Right, it wouldn't shear off an entire side of the building. I watched a uh, a video that was supposed to like demonstrate how it happened. Right. And like <clears throat> even that was like... I don't, I'm no bomb expert or anything. Well, I was going to say, the few videos I did watch about bomb experts analyzing it, they're like, there's no way. If that's the type of bomb that was used, and this is the damage, they're like, there's no way. Something else has got to be going on here. Right. Uh, So, the second weird death is that Michael, uh, that Kenneth Michael Trentadu, Trentadu, Trentaday. Spell is T-R-E-N-T-A-D-U-E. No. Yeah, I'm that's what I'm saying. Know. Okay. What? Trinidu? Trinidu. We'll go with Trinidu. Okay. Mr. Trinidu. D-A-U-X? This was, this was uh, Jane Doe number two, possibly. Okay. 
that remember those two names I was telling you John about? John Doe or John Doe? Oh, he's a man, so it's John. You're, okay. you're right. Uh, he died in a federal in federal custody. The medical examiner refused to say that his death was a suicide. The examiner found bruises, cuts, and said that it looked like he had been beaten. Right. Uh, beforehand. Trinidou's brother was a practicing attorney named Jesse Trinidou and agreed that he couldn't, this couldn't have been a suicide, just how badly he was beaten. Right. Any particular reason why they had him in custody? Well, okay. Yeah. Cause, See, cause I, I could, you know what? I don't I know. I can understand the state trooper suddenly getting depressed and having suicide. You know, but why this guy? Why was this guy a target and why did he get the shit beat out of him and killed? I don't know. What did he have something to do with? That I should have looked a little deeper into. Right, because I don't remember coming across that name in any of the research. Well, and I think this might be... I think we get to it in just a second. Okay. Terry Nichols yeah. has more information all of a sudden that he wants to give while he's in jail. Okay. Uh, but he's not allowed to have any contact with any of the reporters or get any mail out. Like, right. all his mail's being gone through, and I don't know what they're doing. They're but... basically uh, shutting him out. They're, right. They're, it's a blackout. So, information. apparently, he tried to get a hold of that attorney, uh, the Jesse Trinidou. Trinidou? Kristen? Can we get a ruling? I believe so. <laughs> to he, he tried to get a hold of Trinidou to tell info about a high-ranking official involved in helping McVeigh with this attack. Okay. Okay. And high-ranking official. Yeah. So, we're getting some weird puzzle pieces here. Yeah. We don't know where the Trinidou guy comes in from originally. We got... The, one of the actual people that got caught in this, caught up in this, anyways, saying, trying to get that same attorney to say, "Hey, there's someone higher that we should be looking for." Right. And you know, you know what? You're in jail. You're going to say anything to try to get out of jail. Right. Take that with a grain of salt. It's believed the ATF and the FBI kept info from each other. I believe that because do you know how many ATF agents actually died in this bombing? Well, that's <laughs> the conspiracy. <laughs> If the ATF was the target of this attack, uh-huh. why wasn't there any ATF agents in the damn building where they were supposed to be? Because they were all told through several different reports that I went through and several different interviews that I you know, watched, they were told not to go into work that day. I did see something about beepers being involved. I don't know about beepers. <laughs> That they beeped. The oh, me- you remember pages? Oh, that's yeah, what it is. Pages, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, not a single ATF agent died in that bombing. They all survived. Right. So here's another weird thing. Uh, McVeigh had been filmed by the security camera, like uh-huh. you're talking about, uh-huh. near a McDonald's, 24 minutes before the time stamped on the truck rental agreement, wearing clothes that did not match either of the men at. Elliot's, I guess is what the truck rental place was called. Okay, okay. So there is no plausible explanation of how he traveled the mile and a quarter from McDonald's to the rental agency, careless and alone, as he claims, uh, without getting soaked in the rain. I guess it was raining. I don't know about all that. There's another weird thing out there that they, the the eyewitnesses at the, where they rented the truck from, right. all claim that the two men that came in there were dry. Like, they hadn't been in the rain. So that's where people are like, well, how was he at this McDonald's and ran through the the rain to in different clothes right? and got there within 24 minutes and completely dry? 
Like, he had to stop and, and change clothes, I guess is what they're trying to say. Right. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's bizarre. But he, he you can see the footage. Like, he is at a McDonald's. Right. I don't know if it's that day. And that's the other thing. It could Ooh, be the yeah. wrong day. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, the day before or something. But it says it's time-stamped. But right. Wasn't there also a phone call to an agency... Like twenty minutes before the bomb went off, saying, "Hey, there's a bomb. A bomb went off at the Oklahoma City." Yeah, and I think I'm. I'm. See, that's one of the things I may or may not have written down in my my notes. I know somebody received a phone call that the building had been bombed like twenty minutes before, and I want to say they almost like blew it off because they're like, "Uh, we didn't. What's going on?" Right. You know what's what's happening? Yeah, here? there is something really fishy and strange like that. Right. Let's talk about the uh, router truck at the army compound. Okay. The one that's like in front of the tents. Did you see this image? Uh Uh-uh. No, I didn't see that one. Google it. Google uh, OKC bombing router truck army or something like that. Army rider truck? Yeah, because it looks like the... Well, I mean, a rider truck at the time. You know, it's yellow. It's got the rider real big on it. Right. But it looks like it's by army tents. Really? And, it, and it was taken like with a air a, a picture. For some reason, an airplane was taking pictures of something. I don't really know why the picture was being taken, but there is a picture where a rider truck is at some kind of military uh, tent, and it's really really bizarre. So there's that. Okay. And uh, like we were talking about earlier, there's second and then third bombs, right? My understanding is. The initial blast, and then there's an immediate secondary blast. And while they are digging people out, someone yells out, there's another bomb. And so, again, they evacuate with people still under there. Let me play you a little clip. Okay. Another bomb. Move back. Oh, my God, another bomb. Now confirmed uh, through federal authorities that a second bomb has been found inside that federal building in Oklahoma City. It was an explosion at 9 o'clock this morning that did that damage you're looking at right there. I just took a look down the street uh, at the Mara building again. I see another bomb truck going, so apparently they're going to try to get out that third bomb that's been talked about. At the present time, the medical teams downtown are unable to get into the wreckage to retrieve more of the injured because of the presence of other uh, bombs in the area. I've been told by the police department that just as soon as those bombs are defused, they will permit the medical teams to enter. First bomb that was in the federal building did go off. It did the damage that you see right there. The second explosive was found and defused. The third explosive that was found, and they are working on right now as we speak, I understand, both the second and third explosives, if you can imagine this, were larger than the first. The Justice Department is reporting that a second explosive device has been found in the AP Murrah uh, building in downtown Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. The reports I have is that one device was, uh, was uh, deactivated. Apparently there's another device, and obviously whatever did the damage to the Murrah building was a tremendous, uh, very sophisticated explosive device. So Right now they are saying that this is the work of a sophisticated group. This is a very uh, sophisticated uh, device. And um, it has to have been done by an explosives expert, um, obviously with this type of explosion. Two other explosive devices were found that were not detonated, and they were larger than the first. But there were more bombs set to go off, according to ATF officials. 
that we have here. You can see the sheriff's uh, bomb squad. These people have been obviously very, very busy today. They've just pulled up. They're continuing to stay in the area. And uh, as we have more information, we'll bring it to you. Back to you guys. We should find out an awful lot uh, when the bombs are taken apart. I think it was a, a great stroke of luck. As you're mentioning, it's hard to talk about luck on a day like today in Oklahoma City. But it was a great stroke of luck that we actually have got diffused bombs. It's through the bomb material that we will be able to track down uh, who committed this atrocity. So a lot of stuff to bring up after that's a that's a ton of news reports right. saying second and third bomb. Right. So tell me where the bombs were. Like where 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 was the first initial bomb? The first initial bomb was outside, inside the vehicle. In the vehicle. Supposedly, yeah. Mm -hmm. They made it sound like it was inside. Right. Was well, it? Well, maybe they didn't know about that. Maybe the second bomb is outside. And they were able to... I thought that they were able... It didn't go off. It, like, malfunctioned and it didn't go off. But... And was, then they found it. But the way they were wording it made it sound like it was inside. In, yeah, like it was Not brought it was, inside. It wasn't the Just like outside. the other two would have been brought inside. Right. So that's what confuses me. Why are, why are there reports of it being inside? And also, the second and third bomb were larger than the first bomb? Right. Holy shit. If that first bomb did that much damage, imagine what the second or the third, the larger bombs, would have done. Here's another little it's tidbit like of information, too. They think I'm an expert. <laughs> yeah. And the expert thing. They said several oh, times yes. that yeah. these have to be experts right. not not mixing chemicals and fucking cow manure or whatever right. it is they mix and there was another witness that i saw an interview from where he said like after the initial bomb went off and they were trying to get people out or whatever bullets started whizzing by his ear and so of course being a former uh soldier he knew what that sounded like. He knew what it sounded like. I think he was a former Vietnam vet. What had happened was the ATF had stored explosives and ammunition. Oh, I do remember vaguely hearing something about that. In their area, and they weren't supposed to. Yeah. But he knew the very distinct sound of things whizzing by him. Huh. Yeah, so... I do vaguely remember hearing something about that a so long time ago. So on top of a bomb going off, the ATF had explosives already oh. in the building. Yeah. In addition to, you know... It makes you wonder if, let's say the truck bomb... Let's say McVeigh, 100% behind it all. No conspiracy, no cover-up, no nothing. Let's say McVeigh's rider truck blows up, and it blows up their stash of shit. Right. To make it crazy. Right. But then they'd have to admit, well... Well, we had we, we had, had a cache of weapons and, and, and explosives in there. Next to our, our nursery. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And but that's still a cover up, regardless of anything. That's still a cover up, and it would have been less damage. But so. the fact that none of them were there that day is very sketch. Right. Very sketch. Well, did you also hear about the bomb squads that were already on the scene beforehand? Yes, they were waiting outside, like fifteen minutes before it went off. Yep. Yep. Well, one account says two hours before the bombs went off. Oh, really? Wasn't the offic official they, story that it was a, it was a training exercise? Yeah, I did hear that, too. What'd you say? He cased the place beforehand, so maybe they were already on to him. Mm, they would have ev evacuated the whole building if they thought something was going on. Or, well, uh, that's what you'd hope. Uh, not unless... Not uh, if you need a good sob story. 
Or mm-hmm. maybe they felt they could have stopped it beforehand and they thought it, if they told people that it'd be more chaos going on and more damage could be done versus them trying to figure it out on their own. What about this theory like we were speaking about earlier? Uh-huh. McVeigh still working for the government. He did fly, whenever he got into the Oklahoma City bombing place, he had gotten in there a couple of times and I think it was... Didn't he f- do it by flashed in his badge? I don't know what you're that's, talking about. That's been a, there's been a couple of instances. I do kind of remember hearing something about that. He was able to flash some credentials and get through. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, I, thought that, I thought that he was actually working inside that. Well, okay, wait. I think I'm mixing two different things. There's another thing also where a guy got in there and it was a bombing and or shooting he was able to get in there because of his credentials also that's why i remember this one I think, it reminded me of this i think you're thinking of when well but this guy flashed his credentials twin too. towers first got bombed the first bomb no i'm thinking of a shooting of hmm. of a uh of a former army person who flashes or will they say he was former army but he cr- flashes credentials our military, and he flashed his credentials and was able to get in there to work on the building when in all actuality he was uh, casing the place to shoot it up. Got you. But I heard, I, if I remember correctly, that he also was able to get in there because of it, his credentials too, and like everybody was like friendly with him before all this happened. I do kind of sort of remember what vaguely something like that came up. Somebody was able to flash some credentials and kind of look around the, the building. But I can't remember if it was McVeigh or if it was the other guy. Yeah, see, I just don't remember. Uh, so, anyways, he, was he still working for the government? Because, what do we say, 91, 92? I think it was 92 when he... 92 would have been four years. Right, when he got discharged. But there's that one video of the guy doing a documentary, and he interviews a, a guy in a tank. He's doing maintenance on a tank, and it's it's, it's McVeigh. Yeah. And he's, he's still wearing well, his, his fatigues and all that stuff. It was filmed at Camp Craft Military Facility in North Dakota on August 3rd, 1993. Uh-huh. A year after he's... A year... Depending on the report that you re- read, right. one or two years after he's supposed to not be involved in this. Right. Now, he did write a letter to his sister and said something about how uh, he was helping the CIA fly drugs into the United States to fund operations and assassinations. Yep, he was running black ops, allegedly. He was telling his sister that he was. So, um, apparently also at this uh, military facility, uh, they were training troops in explosives and demolitions. Huh. Supposedly. Uh, All of the security film of the bombing were rounded up and classified, and in 2009, they were released. But none of them caught the bombing. How convenient. Do you know why? No. I want you to take your dumbest guess. There's a My game cats going are getting on. A... Stop fighting, jerk. There's a what? A game going on. A game going on. Well, they didn't catch it? <laughs> oh, oh, a football game or something? At 9 o'clock in the morning on a, what, Monday or <laughs> yeah. something like that? Yeah. yeah. This is going to shock you how stupid this is. I would say there was a power outage. That's what I was going to say. That's a good guess. guess. That's a very good guess, but you're wrong still. It's even stupider. Really? They were changing the tapes at that exact time. The exact moment. The exact second. Either someone's got the worst luck 
in human history or this has all they... been a big worse luck scenario right this is right. what happens when worse luck just compiles the only together people who seem to have very good luck were the surviving atf agents that and mcveigh's plan going off without a fucking hitch right perfect almost like he worked there or like he was set up 100 percent. Right. <laughs> so uh, here's another weird thing after mcveigh was given his lethal injection no autopsy was performed supposedly right per his request one person claims that they saw him still breathing yes and apparently the prison officials have admitted the hearse that was outside was a decoy really now i do know i don't remember who we talked to so i think it might have been his sister but he told someone that he was absolutely sure that his commanding officer would fake his death really yep so is there any possibility that timothy mcveigh is still alive Maybe some reconstructive surgery, something. I don't know. Is is that? I really don't. But it's very possible. I mean, he was adamant that he was going to get out. He was going to get out of this alive. Could this whole? Because if okay, because if you look at interview that they did with him, I think sixty sixty minutes did an interview with him before his execution. Dude's cool as a cucumber. Not a care in the world. So either he was one of the coldest motherfuckers alive, or he knew he wasn't going to die. Right. One of the two. That's an. It makes me want to go back and look at some of that stuff with that in mind. Right. That, that maybe he knew that he was. I don't know. Just that. I mean, that's that's putting the tinfoil hat on and uh-huh. and kind of like saying Hitler survived and went off to what uh, Ar- Argentina. Argentina. Because he did survive. And went Argentina. <laughs> we need to cover that one day. Yeah. Homeboy had body doubles. <laughs> yes, was, that is was, true. He was known for having body. Him, yes. and, him and his wife had body doubles. So. But this isn't about Hitler. This is about. <laughs> it, I I don't want to say I believe, but there there's a very distinct possibility that that guy got out of it. Right now, I want to turn to a website. We've done this before with the African Spear on their very uh, oh, deep yes. uh, PizzaGate research and riveting. Yes. So now we're going to go to a website called hourofthetime.com. And okay, if, if you okay. want to see what I'm about to read, it's hour of the time, all lowercase, one word, dot com. Now, is that H O U R? Yes. Okay. Oh, good point. Uh, uh, backslash plot dot htm. And I'll have this in the show notes and okay. everything. Okay. So if you want to click this and read along with us, I can't wait to hear what they have. We haven't even talked about the German nationalists that, that well, supposedly somebody saw. Maybe this will get you. Because that dude... So, okay, because the bomb goes off, that dude flies off to Germany. Like, yeah, yeah, within yeah. the next few hours. Okay. After, like, hours after it happens. So I do have that in here. Okay. So this is all the people that they claim John Doe number 2 may have been. Right. And they pretty much confirm everyone, <laughs> I think. So Okay, so they confirm everyone... So they're saying that it's more than two or three people. Okay. So John, we're going to say John Doe number two is Michael Bercia, uh, an old army buddy of uh, Timothy McVeigh. The government has protected and hidden the identity of this criminal because he is an informant for the at least 
one of the agencies, so they need to keep him. Right. But that's who the John Doe number two, the sketch is. Right. Is this guy that... See, I hadn't heard that name before. Um, John Doe number three has been positively identified as Andreas Strassmeier, a West German intelligence operative. Is that your guy, you think? Uh-huh. John Doe number four has been positively identified by intelligence service as Gary Hunt. Gary Hunt was also involved in the Waco massacre in 1993. Gary Hunt is an informant of the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms. Now, the the reason why I, I kind of like this German guy as a, another suspect is because uh, supposedly a secretary the night before the bombing was leaving and she was in the parking garage and she saw him and another guy and the way she described it was they were like running cables hmm. up and down the pillars uh out in the parking garage and she really didn't think anything of it because she thought maybe they were doing maintenance work right but when she testified this during the trials all the bomb experts are sitting back going holy shit they were setting charges right the, the way she described it is the same way you would set demolition charges right so that right there tells me that homeboy had something to do with it, but for whatever reason he was—I mean—he was extradited immediately. He—I mean the the Get the fuck like, out of here. Like within a few hours after uh, the bomb went off, he was already in Germany. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I think I did re- read something about him being gone pretty quick. His name will come up in a lot of research if somebody else does the research on this. You will see his name pop up a lot. There's just so much research that I there's no way they identified him. And McVeigh, and I think one other guy, I think Nichols, at a strip club like 24 hours before. Really? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Because the the uh, owner of this, it, Tulsa, it's a Tulsa strip club. Uh, he goes, I had to put cameras in the training rooms because girls kept stealing and getting into fights. And going through the uh, uh, footage one day, he, they overheard these three, two or three strippers talking about these guys and how they had big plans da, 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 da. and they're like oh my god i think the one was timothy mcveigh really yeah and so the cops came in they got a hold of the fbi they they gave them like lineup photos and they identified nichols mcveigh and the german Ooh, yeah i wish i would have found all that yeah look up look up the oklahoma city bombing uh tulsa strippers see it just shows you how much shit goes into this this one story uh-huh. that i found all this crazy shit over here and there's still crazy shit over here that... oh there's crazy shit everywhere oh yeah but they see they played the audio on the one documentary i listened to of the girls talking oh really yeah, yeah. that's crazy yeah it's, it's nuts well, back to the what's our website called? <laughs> Hour of Glory. The Hour. Oh yeah, HourofTime.com. Okay, Hour of Time. So we're on number five. Uh, John Doe number five has been positively identified by the intelligence service as Daniel Speglman. Uh, Speglman. Okay. Uh, AKA William Taylor, a fundraiser for the Oklahoma City bombing operation. He was arrested and imprisoned in the Netherlands when he attempted to sell historic documents that were stolen from Columbia University for the purpose of financing the Oklahoma City bombing. Huh. So they're saying that he was trying to fund it. Right. John Doe number six remains unidentified at this time. We have a videotape of John Doe number six in the company of Gary Hunt, John Doe number four, walking away from the Alfred P. 
Um, you know what we were saying, Murray. Uh-huh. They were saying it different in that audio clip. Mur, Murray. It, it's Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma pronounce things way differently all the time. So some of them will say Murray. Some will say Murra. Some will say Mur. I think it depends on who you talk. So to. yeah, if if I got it wrong, I apologize. Right, Oklahoma. But it's okay. I don't care. I don't care. It's Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Who cares? <laughs> So the uh, the federal building, uh, what was I saying? Oh, that they have video of those two walking away within 10 minutes after the bombs detonated. Uh-huh. Both men in the videotape are carrying transmitters in their hands, supposedly. Right. Uh, John Doe number 7, and this is the last one from uh, hourofsomething.com, is the leader of uh, El Home City Rev, uh, Robert G. Miller, uh-huh. an ADL, FBI, and... ATF informant who was instrumental in bringing down the covenant sword and arm of the Lord in April nineteen, April nineteenth, nineteen eighty five. Okay, I don't know. There's see, I, I hadn't heard of that one before. Well, and that has that's why we need to look into that that covenant, the covenant of the sword and the arm of God. This CSA. Yeah, we should look into them one day because they sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> Good old white supremacist groups always sound fun, don't they? To you, Toby. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I don't even want that to be a joke of a yeah. So, we're going to go to another website. Okay. This is instarzone.com backslash okc.html. Uh-huh. In the letter n-s-t-a-r-z-o-n-e.com backslash okc.html in case you want to read along all right april 1st 1995 the omnibus center terrorism bill was struggling to get through the u.s congress after the okc bombing occurred the tragedy looked as though it had been tailor-made to rally public support for this tyrannical bill so they're saying that they were trying to push this bill it wasn't going to get passed and because of the bombing, people were like, yeah, pass the bill, obviously. What's, what's, what was it? The omnibus what? Omnibus Center Terrorism Bill, and it was struggling to get through the U.S. Congress. I'm not real sure what it was for. If that's the same bill, that's the bill that would eventually become known as the Patriot Act. Ah. Okay. Another little side note. It was, a, it was called something else before the omnibus bill, but it had something to do with terrorism. Right. Do you know who one of the original authors of that bill was? This is ninety three. Nah, I'm not yep. even trying to take a guess. Joe Biden, really? Joe Biden is the one of the grandfathers of the Patriot Act. Really? Yes, because it's gone through several different names, several several different changes right. over the years, and it eventually did evolve into the Patriot Act. So that's crazy. Yeah, Biden is an original writer of the Patriot Act, even though everyone wants to blame Bush for it. So, uh, number two on this list from this uh, website, uh-huh. something we already covered, but I'm going to read it. The morning of the bombing, the ATF office located inside the Murrah building was empty, which was unheard of at 9 a.m. on a weekday. Uh-huh. Also, to counter that, after uh, the, what, the director at the time of the ATF claims he was in the building with a DEA agent in an elevator on the eighth floor. Ah, uh, yeah. See, I forgot to bring that up, uh, they, that the elevator fell. It fell five stories and stopped on the third floor. Right. However, the elevator techs, after you look at it, everything, determined that that was bullshit because none of the elevators were down on the fifth floor. They right. were all still locked on the eighth floor. Yep. So. That's an interesting why, thing. Why make it up? 
Right. Why even make it up in the first place? Number three, Oklahoma Congressman Ernest Eistook told a victim on a taped conversation in 1995 that the Oklahoma City bombing was a failed national security operation that used an FBI provocatory uh, associated with a militia. Okay. So that they were working... They were working with militia. Which would be McVeigh and company. Right. But if the FBI was working with a militia, then how come... They can sit there and claim that the ATF wasn't telling them everything if they already knew everything. Okay, this is—I don't remember—in star or something or another. Right. I'm kind of—I'm <laughs> trying to—I'm trying to poke little holes if I can find. Yeah. Them, no. No. So. No. Uh, the ATF number four. The ATF was already putting out a story that the Murrah building was bombed because of Waco only a few hours after the actual blast and before Timothy McVeigh was even arrested. So they had already put that out there beforehand. Right. So that part could be fabricated about him. Well, no, because he was interviewed at Waco. Or, I think, to boost public image, because of Ruby Ridge and Waco, they're like, hey, we were the victims here, is what I think the ATF tried to do. Oh, okay. Spin it. I get what you're Spin saying. Spin it. Because they, if, if I remember correctly, they got a huge budget increase after that. Oh, I bet. I bet. Protect us. Right. Protect us. Here, yeah, here's here, money. Just, here, here's, here's my checkbook. Put any number you want on it. Here's the key to uh, Scrooge McDuck's vault. Right. Go jump in that pit of gold. Right. Number five, an unexploded bomb was found attached to a gas line inside the building, and a FEMA memo reports at least two additional bombs were found in the Murrah building. Joe Harp, based on his military explosive experiences, identified the additional bombs he saw... Uh, remove them from the building as being military in nature. Right. So that's a couple more bombs, if right. if if that's all true. Here's here's another little weird thing, too. Two hours out... No, not two hours. Like, shortly after the bombs went off and they're, they're uh, getting people out, it was right around the time that they were yelling that there was a third bomb, so they were evacuating people. Numerous witnesses say that these van loads of people showed up wearing, like, blue jumpsuits. Really? And they started taking files out. They started removing files, and it took them two hours to get all the files that they wanted, and then they took off, and then they could resume operations again. Did you hear the weird thing about uh, they started bringing in big black tarps? And no, and, I don't remember And, and like, like they were covering things up. There was uh-huh. something, and then there's one picture where, and I think it's this website actually that I'm, I'm talking about right now, or maybe it was the, the previous one, uh-huh. but they actually found one website where there's a big, huge column that's crashed down, and it's got this black tarp pulled over it, and there's a ladder butted up against it on the other side, like someone was up there like putting it, covering something up. Really? No, I haven't heard about that one. And lots of people reported it, but that's the only picture of evidence where you can see a black tarp. Right. Yeah, there's several different reports of these guys rolling up in these vans and just taking file after file after file out. (sighs) Those files had something to do with Clinton, but I can't remember what. Clinton's, Clinton's name was all over them for some reason. Right. Well, there's, I've got two more and then we can, uh figure out what we think okay so number six general benton k Purton, uh usaf i don't know what that is stated in united states air force ah you're good uh i think he's retired 
Anyways, stated in his Oklahoma City bombing report to the U.S. Congress that the bombing of the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building, Oklahoma City, was not caused solely by the truck bomb. The major factor in its destruction appears to have been detonation of explosives carefully placed at four critical junctures on supporting columns within the building. That's, uh, you know... An official report from a former bomb expert. Right. Yeah. Prior, and number seven, the last thing I have of information, yep, the last thing I have at all. Uh, prior to the Oklahoma City bombing, U.S. Senator Arlen Specter, Arlen Specter, that's a cool name. He's still active, too, today. He still does things. I know the name. That seems like a, either a superhero name or a villain name. Alan Specter. Is it Alan Specter? Arlen. <laughs> Arlen, Arlen Specter. Man, that dude, I know that dude's into necromancy. He's got to be. Well, uh, as well as Clinton's, uh, the NSC director, Anthony Lake, had been advocating federal national security operations to stop uh, militias in America. Anthony Lake gave a speech to the Council on Foreign Relations, the CFR, uh-huh. in the fall of 1994, in which he said the chief cornerstone of government policy was to pit our society against militias huh yeah i don't know what it is with with uh like well that one makes sense to me because it's uh you know make militias look terrible because i mean militias don't have to be bad it can well that's just it most militias pretty much uh, traditionally throughout history a militia does not do anything until it's time to go to war. Right. Or it's time they're to just battle. ready. Right. They're just flexing, right. basically. Like, they're like, hey, we're they're, together. Yeah, they're constantly doing drills and exercises. They're keeping up on their shooting skills or whatever. Or, uh, you know, whatever it was at the time. Right. Uh, you know, back in the old days, it was sword play or whatever. So, so yeah, like, but but basically. But now the, now they, there's, this big, there's this big war on militias. Right. So that way you're not standing up to your government if something ever happens. And that's, that's, I think that's what Ruby Ridge was originally, was it was a war on militias. Even though it was just a, a fam- guy a and his family. small family, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it, four people up in that little cabin and 400 agents? Yeah, something stupid like that. With federal snipers? Yep. Come on. Tanks? And yeah. Everything? APCs running over buildings and stuff? Come on. Oh, well, and you know what? That really gets to, like, how this is all connected, sort of, of, you mm-hmm. know, like, they're all very similar. They all do interconnect, if you sit there and think about it long enough. Yeah, when you start looking into Ruby Ridge and then Waco, you see a lot of similarities in how they treated the people. Yeah. And then you see Oklahoma City, which has the connection of, it was right-wing extremists that did this. Mm-hmm. And feel feel bad for us, mm-hmm. basically. You know, usually our our episodes, we we try to mix it up and we we do a conspiracy. We do a supernatural, a UFO. You know, we mix it up every... But I honestly felt like we couldn't do one without Uh doing the other two. And I I didn't feel like it was fair to just graze over the details of some of this stuff. Right. So that's why we did the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am on all three. And what what year was this one? Uh, 93. here let me let me find that real quick for you there was i want to say 95 but now i'm thinking 96 95 95 april 19th 1995 okay when the bombings actually happened 
Okay, you were saying something before I interrupted you. I forgot. I lost my... Tr- you made me lose my good rant. So, what are you thinking right now, Kristen? Like, what is... What What do you think happened? Like, is 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 this a militia trying to prove a point, or is this some kind of cover-up? I think it's a cover-up. You think there was more to it than just, like, oh, we hate the government, we're blowing this building up? I think that it was more than that. I think that it was pretty well thought out, but I think it was, with them saying that it was an expert and everything, I think that, I don't think that, I mean, there's people out there that build really gigantic bombs and everything like that, but I think that it was more too intricate to be just one man or even three men. I think it was a well-thought-out plan. Do you think, like that one website that says there's up to like seven or eight people involved, do you think there was that many involved? Yeah, I think there's a whole government behind it. (laughs) And if they have an eight-man team, then so be it. But I think it's, I don't know, I think that these things happen so that they can make a mark. And I always think my biggest thing or my biggest thought about these big things that happen, yes, some of them can be true and some of them are probably real, but I feel like something big always happens whenever it comes time to where they want to deter your mind away from something so that they can go if you're focused on a shooting you're not focused on the government and them passing certain laws or them doing certain things it's you're more Kansas focused you're more focused on drama everybody loves drama that's why they made magazines newspapers aren't anything good anymore it's all drama the more the big catastrophes that happen then it's a huge thing for you to focus on and then you spend about two weeks focusing on that well a lot can happen in two weeks whenever it's inside of the government and inside of like congress and everything so yeah and it's a way to deter your mind to go yeah you know what we hate guns we hate stuff what was happening during the persuade uh, the argument persuade the jury i guess you could say you remember when uh the nightclub shooting happened yes what were you telling me that was happening was that when the hillary emails first happened like there was something that happened about the same yeah, time uh i want to say i want to say it was uh right before that or right after was right before the nightclub shooting was the first wikileaks dump on hillary hillary emails so it's kind of the same thing as what kristen's saying is like hey look at this look over here because we this stuff's being released over here and we can't stop it but look over here there's a shooting there's this happening right so I'm, it's a false flag, basically, kind of thing, is what you're saying. To keep, Unfor- yeah, I mean, unfortunately, some of it's not false. I mean, things bad things happen, but I do think that it's some things are intentionally planned so that you don't pay attention to the changes in life because um, you know we we have evolved and we do you know have opinions about things, so we do try to get more involved because we've you know people have stressed human rights and you know the second amendment and everything and being in control of ourselves and people will go all out they'll loiter they'll flood the streets they'll kill even for things and so if they can just buy a moment's time or peace so that something they can get something done the way that they want it to then they will it becomes it comes all the way back to that that you know uh what is it the new world order yeah like the perfect the Illuminati the, the perfect place for them you know they want it to be exactly how they want it to be they want a controlled a controlled uh environment a controlled community and a controlled world and that's their best way of doing it is pretty much brainwashing is what i would consider it it's a, like a mild way of brainwashing in a sense of way because people love drama so 
takes the focus off of them so they can get things done. What do you think, Rudy? I'm thinking that there is a lot of very odd similarities going on here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more. I think McVeigh had something to do with it. I don't doubt that one bit. There are some weird inconsistencies. Like, why the fuck would you do this bombing and not have the most squeaky clean vehicle and squeaky clean, like, I'm not going to be carrying a gun. I'm not going to have a bottle of alcohol or anything in the car at all when I'm making my escape. There was other people involved and they told him, it's okay, you're going to get away. And then he doesn't get away. But then again, they tell him if you speak, then, you know, they can hurt your family. You know, just like the John F.K. thing, like... The whenever we were all saying how he could have been the patsy and everything, so I don't know. That's why I think he's like a patsy in things. I mean, yeah, you want to put a face, you want to make a villain. You have to have your villain, otherwise, everybody wants somebody to lynch and to mob and to blame. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was trying to get out. Like, I mean, I don't know. People don't want this. Couldn't have gone unsolved, is what I'm trying to say. People don't want bloodshed, but they don't mind the person who did it getting bloodshed. Right. They they want to see them go get dead before they do anything else. And you know what? I may have to do a little research into this, but I may have linked 9-11 to Ooh. all this as well. Because guess what happened two days before the Branch Davidians were raided by the ATF? What? The first World Trade Center, Center bombing. Is that the one where they they, they blew up? The, the, they tried to blow up and they accidentally they did, did it on the wrong side. Well, they put it. They put a, a van in a parking garage under the second. Right. Tower. Okay. Yeah. 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 That happened on February twenty sixth. February February twenty eighth was when the raid started on the Ranch Davidians. Look over here. Yeah. We're not doing anything over here. Look over here. They're doing bad things. Yeah. Exactly. Weird. Ooh, we've really got our tin full hats on tonight. Oh yeah. But you can you can look it up. You can look up the you can look up the uh uh first World Trade Center, which a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know that the World Trade Centers were bombed long before nine eleven happened. They yeah, were bombed right. in ninety three. Uh I just couldn't remember the date and I, I was looking it up, I was like, Why does that February date seem so familiar? So I switched over to Waco real quick. Two days. Two days difference. A lot of people forget that the Pentagon was even hit after the World Trade Center. Yeah. Yeah, actually. A lot of people don't realize that. And that the plane that's that went... Mandela. Yeah, Mandela. <laughs> oh, thanks for the glove, buddy. I oh, appreciate it. Bye, Kitty. Yeah. It's bringing him a glove. Uh, if it does not fit, <laughs> you if must acquit. If it does acquit. not fit, you must acquit. <laughs> that's right. But yeah. Uh... The cat brings us weird stuff all the time. Don't worry about it. Right. Right. Wow. But, oh, man, there's. What did I read? There was another thing I read, too, about 9 11, a tie in to 9 11. Was. Uh, Two weeks before 9-11, the people of the survivors of Waco had their book got published. And one of the last things they said is, is the, it was like, it was like a foreshadowing. It was like, if this government is not reined in, a huge event will take place. And then 9-11. Two weeks later, 9-11 happens. <sighs> yeah. So you definitely are on board with saying something fishy is going on with this uh, Oklahoma City, Ruby Ridge... All of it. Oh, absolutely. I'm with you. Absolutely. I, I think they're taking innocent... Because look at... Uh, yeah, uh, I think they have the actors within it. The but, crisis actors? Yeah, the crisis actors. Right. But oh. I think there's actual... I mean, there is actual there's... lives being lost. And that may be where they're trying to control the population and right. the count. Right, Because what is it like the tablets that say... 
and I'm not going to go into this real deep because that'd be a long thing, but the, ca- the tablets say a population under this amount of people is better controlled. That's the Georgia Guidestones. The, yeah, the Georgia right. Guidestones, right. yeah. We need to do an episode on that. We need to. Under 250,000, I think, or something. This is running kind of long, uh-huh. but I got one more quick thing to throw in about oh. the OKC. Okay. OKC. Yeah. <laughs> so there may have been crisis actors there. Really? If you look at some of the pictures, it's really weird. Like, you'll see people in this just bright red blood just all over their face and all over their... their, And everyone has bandages wrapped around their head. It's really weird, like... But the bandages have no blood or anything. Not on them. a blood stain on them. Really? Like they're super cleaned up. Like just on their headbands. Okay. Even if, if, if I if I cut my forehead really deep right now and I cleaned it off, wiped it off, and let's say I I had some super glue and just super glued it, you're still gonna have a little bit of blood when you right. put a like if you put a band aid on anything, it's gonna have a little bit of blood on it. And right? if you're just wrapping up wounds, wrapping them up, they're gonna bleed through until you get them properly. Yeah, there's stitched. no there's no way that right after it happened that there's our I mean, well there could have been, but I mean there's people automatically there set up with stations sewing the stuff immaculately. It's right. It's really, really bizarre. And I didn't notice it. Like I had seen all these pictures and then one video I watched was like Look, no blood. And I was like, oh my God. Right. That's very bizarre. And when you notice it, you're going to be like, that looks fake as shit. And what? some of them were like almost as if somebody tied their own gauze on really quick. Yeah, like, like, a, like a headband. Like, yeah. yeah, like a headband. So, anyways. Nobody does gauze like that whenever you go to the doctor. It's just, I mean, these look like. Like, you're just like, oh, well, look that's at me, almost like a cliched thing that you see in a movie. Is yeah. You, yeah. You tie on the headband real quick to stop whatever bleeding or, or to keep from we, so whatever. Yeah. So there's no blood nowhere. That's yeah. I'll show you some I mean, pictures there's in even a second. like, yeah, there's like massive to. blood amounts on people's shirts. Like, right. and they had the gauze on their head, but you don't see, like, I mean, the blood's all like in front of their shirt, but there's none on their neck. There's none on their head, like, and there may be like a from? dribble. Yeah, yeah right. like where's it's so where's the wound? Where's the wound site at? Right. So, okay. but anyways, so oh, that is odd. I that's never, the best. Never, that's the best relief people I've ever seen in my life at the bombing. I never placement. noticed that. I'm mm-hmm. gonna have to look into that again. Okay, so this is running long. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> this is gonna be a lot to edit. Yeah, but uh, final thoughts. I I truly believe the government has something to do with it. I think it, this has all been a big string of events leading up to something to try to make the ATF look better after all their failed. I don't even think it's that. I think it's leading up. I think nine eleven was the 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 end game to getting the Patriot Act signed. Right. Because okay. that's the ultimate invasion of yeah, privacy. Yeah. And look how and, much turmoil well, our world's going through. We can stop this. Right. By and just doing this one act, I I, th- I really do think it's it's the biggest invasion of privacy through fear act that was ever passed. Maybe we'll cover nine eleven soon. Wink, nudge, nudge. Kristen doesn't like when we do that. Uh. <laughs> All right, we call on it tonight, guys. Gal, I'm good. All right, we love you. Goodbye. Good night. Okay, I, stop looking at me when you say that kind of stuff. <laughs> All right, bye. We'd like to thank our sponsors this week, LaFawn Magazine, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company, and the fantasy horror book, A Gathering of Twine. We will have the links in the description for all of them and their social medias, so go check them out, please. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Secret Transpod. You can get all kinds of updates and goofy stuff and talk to us on there. You can email us at secrettransmission at hotmail.com. We're on the Podcast Radio Network every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 
Sometimes the times change, but if you follow us on Twitter, we will make sure to update whatever time it is that we'll be on. You can find it on podcastradionetwork.net. We do have shirts for sale at whatamaneuver.com. You just have to look for the Secret Transmission Podcast Store. We will have a link in the description to make it a little easier to get to. If you buy a shirt, it does help support the show. And if you send us a screenshot of your purchase or you wearing the shirt, we will send you a few little one and a quarter inch buttons to uh, to go along with your, your cool shirt. And that about wraps it up, guys. Um, we, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Please come back and listen to us try to explain the unexplainable. Check one, two, Toby, Kristen, give me a check. Check, 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 check. Okay, give me a check, Rudy. Check, 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 check. Pow, pow, check, check, pow. Check in, pie. Kachiga. Kachow. <laughs> <laughs>